Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Bledick with EOC's Office of Federal Operations, otherwise known as OFO, and I welcome you to another micro-learning moment from EEOC and the Federal Community's EEO Education Consortium. Today, we continue a series of podcasts that we recently began focusing on OFO's Special Operations Division, or SOD. The SOD mission, under the direction of the Assistant Director, is to provide competent and prompt legal analysis, technical advice, and information on complex issues to EEO federal sector stakeholders. With me again today is the Assistant Director of SOD, Virginia Andreu, or Nina. In addition to her current role, she has served in a number of supervisory and attorney advisor roles during her tenure at the Commission, as well as a senior trainer, presenter, and educator on behalf of the EEOC. Ms. Andreu obtained a Master of Laws degree in Law and Government from American University, Washington College of Law in D.C., and received her J.D. from the Pontifical Catholic University in Ponce, Puerto Rico. Welcome back, Nina. Thank you, Tim. I'm glad to be back. So the last time we spoke, you gave an overview of SOD, and as part of that, you promised that when we returned, we would talk about some specific issues SOD has addressed in its role as a legal advisor in the form of a highlight of the month. Can you remind our listeners about what the highlight of the month is about and how that came about and the topic we're going to address today? Sure. The Special Operations Division, uh, we received numerous inquiries for internal and external stakeholders regarding the federal EO complaint process. So we decided to broadly share this highlight of the month, in which we will present a different topic of interest based on the most significant stakeholder inquiries. And to the many questions we received regarding conflict of interest involving the agency attorney's role during the EO process, we chose this topic to discuss as a starting point, even though we cannot cover all aspects today. Okay, so where do you want to start? Let's start with the separation of the EEO complaint program from the agency's defense function. The agencies are required to develop an impartial factual record in accordance with the instruction contained in the EEO MD 110, Chapter 6. And also, you can revise uh, the 29 CFR 1614-108B. According to our regulation, the EEO director has to ensure that individual complaints are properly and thoroughly investigated and that all final actions are issued in a timely manner. But the EEO director also must ensure that there's no conflict of interest or appearance of conflict of interest in the investigation of complaints. On the other hand, agency heads also have an obligation to defend their agencies against legal challenge, including the charge of discrimination. But while we understand this dual responsibility and the EEOC recognize that that might be some interaction between these two functions. The next step is to understand that these two functions should not interfere with each other. In other words, the agency defense unit do not exercise any functions that are committed to the EEO office, the same way that the EEO office do not exercise any functions committed to the agency defense unit. For example, the EEO office should not be prepared brief on opposition to an appeal or brief on an appeal. There must be a firewall between the EO functions and the agency defense function. The firewall will ensure that the action taken by the agency to protect itself from legal liability will not negatively influence or affect the agency process for determining whether discrimination has occurred and if such discrimination did occur for remedying it at the early stage possible. So other than the example you just gave, Can you give us some more examples of how the non-interference principle plays out specifically? Sure. Let me give you some examples. The agency representative in an EO complaint may not conduct legal sufficient review, 
such as acceptance or dismissive complaint, uh, legal theories or theories by the EO office during the investigation, and legal determination made in a fact. Also, an agency defense unit may not review a draft on an agency's final decision on the merit of an EO complaint before it is issued. We need to understand that because the EO director acting as an adjudicator of the complaint when he or she issue a final decision, it will be inappropriate for the agency representative to review or suggest any modification to a draft final agency. An EO director may seek legal advice from any individual or unit that is separate and apart from the unit that handles agency representation in EO complaints. As we always said, the idealistic situation would be that each EO director have their own attorneys or legal team. But we understand that's not always possible. They need to seek legal advice. They need to ensure that that legal advice is not coming from the same person that will be decide the case later in the process. Okay. So with those things in mind, are there things that agency representatives can do related to the EEO process? Yes. And that's a very good question. It's important to know that we never say that all intervention is wrong. For example, an agency representative may be involved in deciding whether or not to appeal a decision issued by an EOC administrative judge. The agency counsel may advise the agency, you know, the EO office, for settlement agreement purpose during the counseling. But important to know that the EO counsel is not required to adopt the advice, but they can provide an advice for settlement agreement purpose. Also, the agency counsel may assist management officials during the investigation stage. Tim, we understand that not all management officials are familiar with the EO process or with the legal formality of the process. So it can be common and can be nothing wrong if a management official contacts OGC or the agency defense unit for questions about the process or, you know, the format. And the OGC can provide that type of guidance. However, what OGC cannot do it changes the context of a response or tell them what to say or not to say. Like, for example, if somebody put in the affidavit, yes, they request the reasonable accommodation and I deny, the agency counsel cannot say, oh, please delete that and say, oh, he never requests an accommodation. It's those type of specific actions that can change the outcome of the case is what the OGC should not interfere. Also, an agency representative may accompany a management official during the interview with the EO investigator. However, the agency counsel should be careful not to interfere with the performance of the investigator's duties during the interview. He should not make any question or she make objection or otherwise place a defensive role for the agency. Because remember, we are during the investigation and the investigation stage is not considered an adversarial process. In the same way, the EO investigator should be careful not to defer to the agency representative during the interview. What is important to understand that it's never been the EOC position that all involvement in the EO process by the agency defense unit automatically create a potential conflict of interest. We only concern about the impermissible involvement in the EO process when the OGC involvement can impact the outcome of the case. Okay. Nina, are there some specific cases you can point our listeners to that might make that line between impermissible and permissible a little clear? Absolutely. The most important case, in my opinion, it will be the case of Annalee Commission request for reconsideration granted in November 27, 2019. And when the EOC clarifies, make very clear the point that the agency defense counsel 
may assist agency management officials and witnesses in the preparation of their affidavit during the investigative stage. However, that the agency defense counsel may not instruct officials to make a statement that are untrue or make change to any affidavit with the FEN approval. In Annali, the commission determined that while there is not a bright line regarding the extent to which the agency defense counsel may be involved during the pre-hearing stage of the process, the key element is whether those actions of the agency defense counsel improperly interfere with or negatively influence the EO process. This type of determination should be made on a case-by-case basis, depending on the specific facts that are presented. So, Nina, have there been any other key decisions since that 2019 case? Yeah, actually, we also have the Tanaleon versus Army on April 22, 2021, when actually the commission reiterated the position in Annali. When we say there's nothing in our regulation that precludes all type of intervention by OGC, we only concern about those interventions that can impact the outcome of the case. As in Annali, we again reiterate our position that there's not a bright line regarding which extent to which agency defense counsel may be involved during the pre-hearing stage of the process, but that the key element is whether those actions improperly interfere with or negatively influence the EEO process. Okay, so I may be able to guess this, but after all this, what are the main takeaways you want our listeners to remember? First of all, that the EOC recognized the circumstance when OGC may interfere with the EEO process, but our concern is not to automatically ban all type of intervention from OGC. Our only concern is when that intervention is impermissible. And we consider that intervention impermissible when the OGC action can negatively impact the outcome of the case. And that is an analysis that should be a case by case. So next time that an agency or EO officers have a doubt whether or not OGC should be interfered, OGC can do this or not, just think about that. If that type of action can impact or negatively change the outcome of the case, it might be considered an impermissible intervention. And that is the kind of action that the EOC are really concerned about. So thanks, Nita. And although it sometimes appears to be a fine line, I think you've done a pretty good job of articulating where the commission stands on keeping the EEO complaint process and the agency's defensive function separate. Oh, thank you. Well, I try to do my best. So next time, we're going to explore another highlight of the month topic using questions from agencies to SOD, correct? That's correct. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Nina. And thank you all for joining us again today for this microlearning moment. As always, if you would like to know more about the Federal Sector EEO Education Consortium, send an email expressing interest to edcon at eeoc.gov. We look forward to you joining us again for a microlearning moment in our podcast series sharing OFO's Special Operations Division Highlight of the Month. Good day, everyone.